Well, we've covered a lot of territory in our Future Family series. We started out by looking at the story of Joseph and his dysfunctional family, and we found out that God is able to use all kinds of families, even complicated families, to achieve his purposes. Then we took a hard look at the fifth chapter of Ephesians and discovered that that writing is not so much about declaring who should be head of the household and much more encouraging all of us to be servant leaders to one another in the spirit of Christ who washed the disciples' feet. We took a look at family and marital conflict and how best to resolve the challenges and disputes that we have with one another. And then last Sunday, Pastor Paul focused on the impact of social media, sharing both its benefits and its drawbacks and inviting us to share faithfully in managing that resource. Today we're looking at the fact that families come in all shapes and sizes these days. Next Sunday, don't forget, we're going to take a look at how extended family and future generations uh, are so much helped by previous generations, especially that's the message we find from the Bible and all the biblical times and the way families operated. Today, look at the reality that families come in different ways. Matter of fact, most professionals will suggest that we don't use the word family anymore. Because people, when they hear that word, they usually think about father, mother, and 2.5 children. And families don't come like that much anymore, at least not the majority. And so we need to, but, and, and so they tell us to use the word household, but I just have a hard time with that. Household seems so impersonal to me. Family conveys a warmth that I think is important and vital. I'd, I prefer that we redefine what family means that can mean many things than to do away with that word. Here's a few facts that is important for us as a church to remain relevant, and also it's helpful for all persons to know. 50% of all babies born in the United States this year will be born to single parents. In 2018, there were more than 16 million single-parent families in our nation. More than two-thirds of single mothers do not attend church. And 1,300 new step-families are forming every day in the United States. And 50% of all U.S. families are remarried or recoupled. So that, that raises some important questions for us. What are we doing as a church to help make singles single-parent families more at home in the church? What are we doing to help people who are blending a new family? I'm thankful that we have things like divorce care on Friday nights. It's a valuable ministry. But is there more that we can do to work with families of all shapes and sizes? And I think today at least we can start by trying to understand what people go through as they experience a divorce, as they live in a single-parent household, and also as they're trying to blend families. So how many of you can name the best day in your life? Can you think of the best day in your life? Go ahead and show hands. Name time. Can you name the worst day in your life? Yes, some of us can, especially those who've lost very close loved ones. Well, I can name the worst day in my life. And that day was when I and my ex-wife had to tell our four children that we were getting a divorce. 
It was especially painful for me coming from the background I had. My, my number one mission in my life was to make sure my kids always knew they were loved and secure so they could thrive. And that event was a reminder that I had failed in a very important part of that mission. I remember the details of that, that get-together, sitting in our living room, and I remember how each child took the news. My oldest was about 14 at the time, and, and he didn't have much reaction because he saw it coming. He'd experienced the tension in the household. He, he had heard the fighting, so he wasn't surprised. My two middle children, Kelsey and Sasha, they cried and cried because they realized that we'd no longer be living under the same roof together all the time. And then my youngest, Janae, was six years old at the time. She had a birthday coming up, and, and her question was, does this mean I get two birthday parties? <laughs> well, that brought a little levity that was helpful on that very tense conversation. And I hope it brings a little bit, conveys the hope that we experience today as we think about this reality. Because as hard as divorce is, you need to know when you're in the middle of that situation that there will be light at the tunnel with the help of God and the help of a loving church family and family and friends. You will get through it. Hear that hope. But let's be honest. Divorce is not easy. Sometimes you're doing battle with a person that you were once deeply in love with. And it's hard to believe how ugly people can get in these situations. Our children have to experience that hostility between new homes. They have to adapt to new procedures in different homes. And often they exhibit that in behavior issues at school and often their academic uh, performance drops. But I hope that you hear that it doesn't have to be that way, at least not forever. As a pastor and as someone who's been, who's been through that experience, let me tell you that you don't need to lose hope. No matter how bleak, no matter <clears throat> how, lug how ugly things can become, know that God is always with you. I remember the lowest point in my custody battle. I share with people many times that I, I had the custody battle from hell. It lasted 18 months, a couple court appearances. Uh, I think I spent $8,000 in, in, in uh, legal fees. And the worst point for me came when we were ordered by the court to do a one-hour psychiatric review with the children present. Let me tell you, that's a lot of pressure. In one hour, to have uh, an expert declare how you parent and, and what your family life is like when they're with you. And let me tell you, it didn't go well for me. My kids were tired. They were exhausted. When they asked about the kind of things we did, they just didn't have a whole lot to, to share. And when I went home that evening... I was convinced I was going to lose custody of my kids. I was going to be one of those every other weekend dads, and that was devastating to me. I didn't sleep much that night. And the interesting thing was, God came to me in a very real and unique way. <clears throat> By the next morning, I began thinking about all the possibilities. He started putting my heads the ways that I could still be involved in my kids' life, no matter what the judge said, no matter what the court declared. I was already volunteering in their classrooms. I was coaching basketball of, of the girls' team at, at school. And I began imagining all these ways. And there was this determination that no matter what is decided, 
you can't keep me from my kids. And that set me free. And the good news was we ended up with shared custody. And I ended up being very involved in the kids' lives, in part because they were so active in school and so many sports that, that there hardly went a day go by that I didn't see one of them at least. And so we got through that time. And my children, I believe, for the most part, have thrived. I also learned, and this is a message for those of you that are single, I discovered in, my, in that couple of years' time there that being single is not easy. If you haven't noticed, we live in a couple's world. It seemed like every time I turn on the radio, there's a love song. It seems like every time you look, there's couples holding hands. I heard somebody on Thursday nights who's recently lost her husband of many, many years, and she said, you know, I'm fine seeing young people hold hands, but when I see an older couple hold hands, it brings grief to my heart. Well, it's not easy finding ways to be helpful to single-parent families and to singles. I know we've tried, we've got a great divorce care program, but, but we've tried to get started a single and parenting program. If you have interest in that, please let us know because we'd love to get that off the ground. But the church as a whole doesn't do well administering with singles and single parents. But let me at least leave this biblical thought with you. If you're paying attention to the scripture today, you might have noticed the person that wasn't named in this passage. Did, did anybody notice that? Joseph's not mentioned. And let me tell you, that, that was unheard of in biblical times. For the head of the household not to be named, and usually they were always named first, for him not to be named says something. And it either declares that he's been gone a long time, or it means the early church simply understood that Jesus' real father was the Holy Spirit and not Joseph. Which means either way, Jesus either grew up in a blended family or he was in a single-parent family. Some even suggest that, that Jesus, perhaps the reason he didn't start his public ministry until age 30 was because he had to take over the family business and help take care of the family instead of Joseph, who must have died much earlier. So the message of this passage is that your worth does not come from the kind of family that you grow up in. It doesn't matter what's happened to your family. God is with you, and God is the one that defines who you are and declares that all are his children. And that message is seen in other places. You notice that Jesus spoke with a woman at the well who had six different husbands and treated her with respect and had a theological dialogue that ended up with her being the first missionary in the Bible. Or we can talk about Jesus' lineage. If you read chapter 1 of Matthew, you discover that in Jesus' lineage is a Moabite woman who has a second marriage. We also have Rahab, a former prostitute, is in his lineage. So if you ever feel less than because of your family circumstances, know that we serve a Lord who came from a very complicated situation as well. It is possible for the church to affirm the sacredness of marriage, but also be there for every person, no matter if your life has not turned out exactly the way you dreamed it to be. Our Lord is the one who went to all persons, all sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. He is the one that said, whoever comes to the least of these has welcomed me. 
So let's talk about blended families. I imagine most couples with children from a previous marriage go into their new relationship rather naive. I know I did. I remember the joy that Nancy and I had on our wedding day, but I hadn't taken the time to stop and think through how my children were feeling, to put myself in their shoes. And I think we'd find that's often the case, that, that while we have great hope and excitement about our new relationship, we're not ready for the challenges that are going to come from blending children into this new family. Kate Chapman's raised a few things that are good to think about. She mentions that, first of all, no one wants to be in a blended family. This relationship is one that is born out of grief and tinged with failure. And if you go into a blended family, you'll find that most of the time that new family is a little louder, a little noisier than the first one because you've got more people involved. It also just naturally reduces the attention that each child receives. And you've got a step-parent who's bringing in unfamiliar traditions and habits. And that step-parent is a living, breathing trigger, an adult presence that reminds the child that their biological parents are never going to get back together again. And then you've got this catch-22. If they like and love the step-parent, then sometimes they're showing disloyalty to the other parent in the other household. And then if they hate that stepmother, then they're hurting and harming the other parent. They, they can't win either way. Add to that the accessories of an extended family, and so often we tend to bring first family strategies to a blended family that just doesn't work. You've got to keep in mind that that first family formed over years. And from the day that first child's born, and if a second child is born, and more each time, they, every day they've added to the complexity and the network of what that family looked like. And then you take that out and put it into a new family, and within months you expect it all to be working the same? That is not realistic. There is a reason that 67% of second marriages end in divorce. So let me just share a few quick strategies. If you are in a blended family or you know 